0: Folks have to feel that you care about them and their growth, not just so that you can accomplish your goals. People grow, organizations don't. So helping your team genuinely feel that you care about them and then caring about them, you want them to achieve their goals.
1: Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I just want to take a minute and welcome you to the show and welcome you into the Kelly family. You know, we exist uh, to help you in everything that we do. And so if you are an organizational leader or you're someone who listens to the show and you're just wrestling with a question, maybe you're concerned about, um, you know, where we are in the economy. Maybe you have um, issues within your organization and you're just looking for some advice or some wisdom, uh, let us know so we could turn and dedicate a whole episode to specifically your question. Maybe you want to get a hold of our faculty and understand, you um, Different research or get get a glimpse into what's happening um, in the leadership and business world around us, or if you just know an individual who'd make an awesome guest for our show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to R O I pod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at IEPUI.edu. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at IEPUI dot edu. You know, a lot of times in our organizations we get so Caught up in systems and processes and efficiencies, we try to get more results out of less work or less input or less. We're trying to find ways um, to just grow, and it's it's a healthy thing for organizations to develop. But you know, a lot of times when we get to a point where we become so efficient and it becomes so much about the process, we sometimes tend to lose the the human element of. Our workforce. We tend to lose the humanity portion of the customers we serve. You know, it, everything is boiled down to spreadsheets and and sales reports and um, you know what our what our ratios are for profit. That you know we, we need to address and figure out the need because for a lot of organizations, as we're struggling to grow or as we're looking to how do we take our organization to the next level, a lot of it becomes down to how can we get back to the humanity element of our organization. How can we meet those in need within our community, within our, within our workforce? Today we are honored to be joined by the pastor of Shepherd Community Center, Jay Height. Jay, we're just so honored and grateful for you to be here and we're excited to talk about, you know, reimagining and, and seeing our customers and our workforce in a fresh new way. Um, That can help us grow. So welcome to the podcast.
0: It's good to be here and appreciate your interest in what's happening here at Shepherd Community. As you were talking, I think we're at this crossroads. We live in this technology age, AI and all of these pressures that come and change that's happening. Statistics and data. We talked about being data driven as long as there is a marriage of that data with the fact that that data is, has names and faces. And so we're trying to do that with people who are in poverty. We hear lots of statistics uh, when people say, you know, these, this percentage of folks live under poverty or whatever. Yeah, but they have names and faces and they're people and they need to be acknowledged, not talked in percentage, but talked by their first name. And so that's what we're trying to do at Shepherd Community grow capacity to reduce dependency.
1: And I love how you started that. I love how you addressed, you know, getting to that, like seeing the face, letting numbers tell a story because every number is really just a representative of that name, of that face. And we do get lost in that. And I think, you know, we've put such a divide in the business world where nonprofits and those that are helping community and those those who are not quote unquote profit driven um, they, it's, it's almost like, well, we don't want anything to do with, with the nonprofit because, yeah, they're doing great things, but that doesn't impact our business model. Our business model is all about trying to you know, help us grow, help us to make profit, help us to you know, support the work, workforce that we're employing, um, and it gets lost. And I think that was a great way of, of talking about that. So, you know, we believe on the show that there are principles that no matter where you apply them, they, they work, you know, and I think one of the things that is great about what you guys do is you really get after the heart of humanity. You get, really get after the, the community in which you serve. And so I'd love for you to kind of maybe let's start with, with the mission and the vision and the, and the philosophy of Shepherd um, that has brought about such, such success, you know, here in Indianapolis. Our goal is to break the
0: cycle of poverty by engaging with the first and second generation, we want to break the cycle of poverty for both generations. We know it's much difficult for the adults, uh, but we're engaging with both to bring about this change. I heard someone who has been in poverty say, all of the welfare programs keep me from drowning, but no one was teaching me how to swim. And we want to teach people how to swim. That's that whole concept of growing capacity to reduce dependency. Um, I would love to say that we put ourselves out of a job, but we, we know the Bible even tells us the poor will always be among us. We'll always have a job to do. Um, but we want to stay focused to grow the capacity of our neighbors uh, because they have the ability. They There's not something wrong with them. Uh, they just don't have maybe the same opportunities I had growing up. One of the things that poverty many times in Indiana – is the lack of access, not the lack of resource. Is there enough food in Indiana that everyone would have enough to eat? Yes. Is there enough jobs? Yeah. <laughs> Probably some of the folks listening going, man, I I I really I need workers. It's it's having the skill set, maybe it's having access to that food or access to that medical facility. Uh Maybe it's not understanding poverty. Many t- times takes away your ability to advocate and navigate, and and so there has to be a different mindset. Many times we're trained to think how we think. Right? Here's an example: We have a program that our assistant director Tim Street teaches. It's an excellent program called Poverty One Hundred One. It's a multi-week training to understand the how people in poverty think. So food, I grew up in middle class home. My dad was a GM worker. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Mom babysat, sold Avon. She did different things, but my two brothers and I grew up in a very middle-class home. When I go to dinner with one of my neighbors, my wife and I, Jane, and I will go to somebody's home back pre-COVID, you know, BC, before COVID, they would all night say, did you get enough? Because in poverty, you worry about quantity. There's a reason why the buffets tend to be more prevalent here. It's about, did you get enough, right? Growing up in middle class, mom would have someone over, uh, maybe after church or something, and and she would say, how was it? Because quality matters. Well, if we're hanging out with some friend of ours who's really rich and uh, takes us to a very fancy high-class restaurant, they bring the food out, and what do they do? They say, how does it look? And I say, well, it doesn't look like much. That's just little. Uh, but it's about the presentation. Interestingly enough, it's all food, right? But there's a totally different mindset. Quantity, quality, presentation. Let's think about money. Uh, my neighbors see money as something to be used. If if I was, and uh, uh, I'm no longer the senior pastor of the church, my good friend David is, and but I'm um, still associate, but we had a time when the tornadoes went through Southern Indiana and we said, Hey, we need help. And we need bottles of water to send down. Our, our, our neighbors gave all the money. They had one case lady cleared out account so she could buy water because people needed it. Well, next week she was going to struggle to pay her bills, but she knew I had it. So it money's to be used. Growing up in middle class, my parents always said, you got to save. You know, you you give 10% to the church and then you put so much into the bank. And you got to save, save. Money's to be saved. So it's to be used. It's to be saved. And from some of my rich friends, they talk about how they invest it. It's all money, right? What, what I'm saying and part of understanding and leadership in businesses is everyone doesn't have the same mindset as I do. It's one of the challenges when government tends to create a marketing program to sell the newest program to our neighbors. Well, they've never tried it with our neighbors. And so the typical thing in the, in the inner city is we see ads on the side of a bus that goes by 40 miles an hour down the street, and it has a whole bunch of words that our neighbors maybe struggle because literacy is a challenge. I say all that to say, I think part of the challenge of poverty in today's culture is there's different mindsets. And so we have to acknowledge that and then begin to communicate in a way that makes sense in their mindset.
1: And that's a great point to think about as far as the leadership perspective, because even when you know, you're know you bringing in workforce and you're bringing in people, let's say you are working in an organization that has every level of income spectrum from your entry level blue collar workers up to your C level executives and boards and everything in between, you know, you are having to have that awareness of, okay, where, where is everyone coming from? So how can I as a leader then better and be more efficient and help those people help my team just grow, help them grow from where they are to where they want to be, you know, and help them move up the ladder or whatever, whatever it may be you know but i think it even starts to going back a bit to having those conversations because you know how i think one of the biggest problems and we talked about this in our phone call is the, the essence of community is is going away you know there there is a lack of people feeling bought into uh, their neighbors maybe feeling and this translates into the workplace too you know whether you're you know at home and you don't know your next door neighbors and you feel isolated or you're working and you live in a great area, but yet you go into work every day. You don't know the people that sit next to you. And there's like that lack of disconnect. You know, so how do you even begin to have conversations? You know, how does, how does it start? You know, how do you, how do you, know, you meet people where they are to even begin to bridge and build community?
0: The epidemic that's ravaging uh, our communities, whether it's in my neighborhood in the near east side, whether it's in Fishers, whether it's, in Carmel, Mooresville, it's it's loneliness, and so if let's uh, let's study architecture for just a moment. Uh, so in the '60s, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, born in 1965. So you know, in 1970, when my brothers, who are both older, In the mornings, we'd wake up in the summer and we'd run down and I'd open the box of cornflakes and stick my grubby hands in so I could try to find the baseball card. My brothers loved that I did that. And we'd eat breakfast, then we'd run out the front door off the front porch and we'd play up and down our block. I was spanked by probably most of the moms on that block and uh, probably deserved it, uh, though I'd try to blame my brothers. Uh, But then at lunch, one of the mothers would come out off the front porch and they'd yell. And so our dads would come home park in the driveway and he would talk to Mr. Amos who lived next door to us because he got home about the same time and they'd park in the driveway, get out and talk. And, and then mom would have the window open and she's cooking and Mrs. Amos is cooking and the houses were, were created so that the kitchens faced each other and they would talk. And, and then in the evening, parents would go out on the front porch and sit and talk to the neighbors and the kids. We'd run up and down the street and we would try to, uh, Uh, play in the sprinkler in the heat of the summer right before you go in to go to bed. So you'd lay in front of the fan and you'd try to cool off and that was your air conditioning. But things changed. Architecture changed. The garage became attached. The thing called a garage door opener. And so my dad would never have seen Mr. Amos because he would have hit a button, the door opened, he pulled in, he hits the button and the door shuts Never sees him. Thing called central air. central air happens, and guess what? All the windows become closed. Where did the porch move to? The backyard. Yeah, to the back, and these things called privacy fence. And so we no longer live in community. Thirty one percent of Americans know who their neighbors are. So we are living in an isolation
1: among many people. On top of that, then you have social media offering the, the optics of community or, you know, it even almost like makes that divide even worse, it feels like.
0: Well, it's cotton candy is, is the way I describe it. Facebook says, I have friends. Go off of Facebook and see how many friends reach out to you. Uh, it's, it's artificial, but it's it's trying to fill a niche that we need because we no longer live in community. We don't know our neighbors we don't see our neighbors even amidst beside them because we're hitting the garage door. We're sitting on our back porch behind our privacy fence. And and so I think uh, Shepard's next 10 years is really in this idea of reneighboring the hood. We don't need more money, we don't need more programs, we need more relationships because it's in relationships that we can sustain. If we wanna attack the violence of our city, we're gonna attack it through relationships. Um, people react and participate in these bad things because they don't have any hope because they don't think anyone cares. And so we want to reneighbor the hood. We want kids to know that we care about you and we have an expectation that you can do great things and we want to help remove the barriers so that you can do it. We're not going to do it for you, but we want to remove the barriers to make that possible. And so I think there's, uh, I'll, I'll speak to the architects out there, change the. Change the structure. Bring us back to the front where we live in community. Bring us back to this idea where we're seeing each other and we're t- chatting. And uh, in the 26 years that my wife and I and our three kids, when we first moved here, they're all married now. But when we moved here, we uh, we loved our house because we were out on the front porch and people were walking by. And, and it was, for me, this glimpse of what it was when I was a child. And... Uh, and we lived, you know, there was a four-unit uh, apartment building right beside us. We weren't bothered by that. There was a double couple houses down. There was a, a bigger apartment building in the other end of the block. And But we all knew each other, and we all talked. And I, I can remember <laughs> Mrs. Trimble lived in the bottom left, and whenever she was sick, she she'd let my mom know, and we'd take food over because that's what neighbors did, right? I took it over. I was probably five years old. She was watching a soap opera. I told her good people didn't watch soap operas. And uh, she thought it was hysterical. She called my mom. Mom did not think it was hysterical. When I got home, we're next door. Boy, I was, she lit me up. Uh, yeah, we, we we knew each other. And and community is is the call. Robert Putnam has written several books about this issue. And, and I think it's really Imperative for all of us. It's not a government call. It's, it's not even a church's call. It's an individual call, because institutions can't do this. Individuals can. And so, if you don't know your neighbors, get to know them. Uh, and and you know, we didn't have doggy daycare. When we went on vacation, our neighbors took care of our dogs. Right. That's that's how you lived. And um, and I think there's something for us to ascribe to back to that idea how we can live together.
1: It seems like it's a white elephant conversation, you know, where you said 31% of Americans don't know who their next door neighbor is or who's living around them. That's a staggering statistic. Like that's That means that over two thirds of the country are completely, you know, are completely in the dark to who's around them, which I know translates into the workforce, which I know translate into organizations and into the culture and with it being such a white elephant in the room that that doesn't get addressed because everyone's great at putting up a face or putting up a, hey you know no we have it all together everything's okay how do organizational leaders begin to even start those conversations how can you know those that cuz leaders are those that are willing to put themselves out there to put themselves at risk or to you know say something that everyone's thinking maybe but you know doesn't have the courage to stand up and hey you know I want I want to do something about this so how do you, individuals getting to your point start to have these conversations maybe within their family, maybe within their community, or even at work to say, hey, you know, I feel alone too. You know, do you feel alone? Like, how how do we begin to bridge some of those um, divides?
0: It's personally saying, you know what? I'm going to meet someone. Uh, I think part of it is people feel that no one sees them. And so it's when you see your neighbor getting their mail, saying hi, but where does, you know, most homes now get the mail up, on the house. And uh, I live at a residence where mine is on the street. So I get to walk out and I get to see my neighbors and talk to them and, um, but create conversation. But we live such a busy life. It's hard. And so I think part of the challenge is slowing down and taking time and finding out their names, finding out a little bit about them and, and then finding ways to just engage with them and talk with them. I think you'll find how powerful that is. For our senior adults, it's the second largest group for uh, drug abuse. Why? Because they're lonely. No one's connected. So We're all Legos created for connection. Different shapes, different sizes, different colors. But we were built for connection. I think that's how God created us, and and that's how we need to live. Uh, One little Lego block, you've probably stepped on it in the middle of the night, and you go, oh, bless my child for leaving that in the middle of the hallway. (laughs) Um, it's useless. You can do nothing with it. But when you bring them together, beautiful things can be built.
1: And, you know, it even lends into when people feel, you know, we've talked about this in many episodes, when people feel seen, when people feel, someone has interest in them, you know, and I think this is what makes great leaders is, you know, really having a authentic relationship, you know, with the people on your team or in your community, you know, the people that, that everyone talks about in the neighborhood is the one that's like, they know what's happening. They know where people are at in, in their own neighborhood and in church or wherever you worship, you know, it's, it's the people who take genuine interest, become a magnet, you know, for, for people who are like, Oh man, there's something about this person I want to get to know. Um, and I think that as organizations grow I mean people buy into that type of culture where they feel heard and they want to be even more you give back more to the to the greater community to you know hey this person really helped me out in my low times man I really want to help them out or you know man this team this team lead is you know really invested in in me personally I mean I want to do good so to help them out as well because I know they're trying to move us forward you know, talk about the the benefits, you know, talk about the benefits of a strong community. Talk about, you know, the, when, when you do have a, a strong sense of everyone feeling that sense of belonging, what it can create inside an organization, inside a neighborhood, or inside wherever you find yourself.
0: Folks have to feel that you care about them and their growth, not just so that you can accomplish your goals. People grow, organizations don't. So helping st- your team um, genuinely feel that you care about them and then caring about them, you want them to achieve their goals. So as leaders, it's on us to say, what's your goal? Matt, what what do you want to accomplish? How can I help you accomplish that? How does that intersect with what we're doing here? Um, But if it's only about achieving our corporate goals, then, then they're a widget. And, you know, you can interchange widgets, right? And instead, we need to live um, in, in relationships and know, find out who their spouse is, find out who their kids are, find out what's pressure. And, and one of the things I try to do in my leadership me is with my team, first thing is what's what's going on in your life? How are you personally? Because if I don't care about you then you're not going to care about what I want to achieve. So it's it, uh, we we have to genuinely and not in in some kind of artificial way. But and people will sniff that out. But help them and and be concerned about them.
1: And as people are searching for that sense of belonging, for that sense of community, you know, how can you tell early on um, people are authentic? You know, because I'm sure many of us have been in relationships where Oh man, it feels like they're a great person, but then when it comes to action, like they say the great words, they say the great platitudes, but then when it comes to, you know, act, action to kind of back up those, we've been burned out, you know, or we've been we've been burned. We've been left left alone or, you know, how how do you get a sense of that? You know, or how do you um as people are searching for that place of belonging, what are what are ways to know, man, yeah, I'm I'm there. Like this is this is real. One It means you
0: have to be vulnerable that it maybe doesn't work out. So we can't always guard ourselves against getting hurt. So that's one of the things that moving forward to have genuine relationships, you got to be vulnerable. We don't like to be vulnerable. Um, People have hurt us. People have let us down and people will. That's part of life. And I'm sure I've done that to others. And so I think I just have to keep moving forward.
1: As we begin to wrap up, you know, looking for ways to give back, looking for ways to get involved, maybe maybe someone's touched by just simply what Shepherd's doing. You know, how can people get involved here for you, and how can people volunteer and um, yeah, help Shepherd and what you're doing and building the community?
0: You know, one of the things is someone can say, you know what, I'll just call some neighbors. That's powerful. Uh, maybe they want to help deliver food. My wife and I, for a year and a half, Jane and I have been delivering to the same eight families. Well, it's it's grown because they've introduced us to someone and we've helped somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, this isn't a program. These, these are our friends. This is this is family. And uh, we care deeply for each other. And I was sick and in the hospital for a while, and they're checking with my wife saying, what do you need? Do you, everything okay? And sending cards to us. Um. Because we care for each other. And so that's what we need. People who want to engage. And you say, well, I don't know. Well, maybe you want to tutor a kid. Maybe you want to stock shelves for our food. Or maybe you want to deliver. Or maybe you want to say, you know what? I'll take two or three people and I'll call them each week and just check on them. Um, Those are all powerful things. Whatever you feel is your passion, we could probably engage you in some way in doing that. We can even use
1: architects. Again, Jay Height, Executive Director for Shepherd Community here in the Near East Side of Indianapolis. Jay, thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom and for being our guest here on the show.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and um, I think the last thing I would say is invest in others.
1: This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.